from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents interviews of ordinary people who choose the Baha'i faith as a way of life. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing a telephone interview with Dora Carlin Horton, a Baha'i who lives both in New York City and in Florida. She's an actor, musician and composer, a makeup artist, a chef, and a playwright. I started the interview by asking Dora where she grew up, and what was it like growing up there? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. It was a Jewish neighborhood, and, uh-huh. and I was had a Jewish background of basically uh, conservative Judaism. There was very little, very very little of it. I would say that the main source of any major commitment was to survival and money. Mm. And that was really what ran the family and ran everybody, because this was a second generation of people who were, the first generation were, were basically religious Jews, but my mother and, and my father as well were probably rebelling against it at that point. So there was very little spiritual of any, very, very little spirituality mm-hmm. around and uh, why do, why were your parents rebelling against it, do you think? I think it's a second generation wanting to experience money. They so. go through that illusion to really see what it was. Yeah. Uh, materialism, money, I think that's what it is. I don't know. Right. I, I just didn't re- they just did not follow any kind of kosher laws. And my grandmother used to do that, I know. Mm. But I was too young when she died, so... Yeah. So this is all through your growing up years, high school even? Totally. The only thing that, I mean, in my early part of inquiring about it, I went to a Sunday school my mother sent me, Mm -hmm. and I was so inquisitive. And Mm. they spoke about the history of the burning bush and Moses, and I just wanted so much to have it somehow materialize into a tangible kind of thing that I could understand. And when I inquired... They suggested that I be sent out of that Sunday school. Oh my gosh! Too much of a of a interruption to their classes. <laughs> I just wanted to meet somebody who knew God, somebody yeah. who to take it out of just being a burning bush that was really meaningless to me. A burning bush, yeah. Moses, or it was kind of scary. So you pretty much did not get what you needed growing up then. Well, no, I got none of that, and yeah. then when my grandmother died there was it was there was such a disruptive emotional upheaval in the family Mm. everybody was so upset and i knew at that point i was about 12 years old that there had to be something Mm. had to be something that i could somehow i could that i could find for some kind of comfort because this could not be what life was about Mm. to just live and die and that was the end of it yeah so I started researching at that point. I was about 12, and I discovered uh, reincarnation. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I started that, I discovered that whole theory of it, mm-hmm. of life, and got involved in that and started to get very, very curious about what there could possibly be beyond what I saw. Mm-hmm. I just kept inquiring. I even went to discover a bit of Christianity, and I was totally put off by that because it was so devil infiltrated. It was just all about the devil taking you and getting you if you weren't going to be a good Christian, and that really frightened me, and I knew that was not the approach that really supported me in any way. Mm-hmm. So I just went ahead and started to inquire about astrology and palmistry and numerology and mm. all that kind of stuff, yeah. as well as well, all kinds of books. I, I kept reading things, Herman Hesse's books, all of his books, and I would look at movies that had something to do with the deeper feelings that I know I was feeling mm-hmm. and the quest that I had to just find something. Right. Other than what I saw, other than this big emptiness of money that wasn't fulfilling at all. Yeah. Did you try that road growing up? Money? Yeah. Well, it never really, truly, you know, I knew that it... You were never drawn to it? I could buy things, but it certainly wasn't going to do very much for me. And even when I had a bunch of it, it was such an illusion and I knew it. Yeah. But my whole solace came from, from music. Okay. I played the piano at five years old and got very, very, very lost in playing music because it really did massage my soul. Mm. And that's where I felt the most peaceful, mm-hmm. playing music. And you studied it? No, I never studied it because I had a teacher who showed me how to play something and within minutes I was able to play it. Oh, so no. I had an ear for music mm-hmm. and I just, sat by myself for hours and hours and as a child and played music mm-hmm. and basically taught myself how to play. And do you play today? I play today and I love writing. I've been, I just put out a wonderful CD and I just sold all of the copies that I put out, all of the 500 copies. And it's been such a wonderful source of, of pure joy to me to be able to be an instrument to get this music through me mm-hmm. and put it out and have the result of telling me people tell me that it's it's very healing which it really is mm-hmm. you know, because it comes so much from the spirit now if someone's interested in the cd how does one is there well, a... as of right now i'm out of it i have to reprint them <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah. the distribution company right now is revamping mm-hmm. itself yeah and what's the name of the cd it's called pathway to paradise Mm-hmm. Can you describe it for us? Yeah, it's all music put to prayers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the first and the last song are the songs that have been that I put together with both music and words. Mm-hmm. The first song is called Progressive Revelation. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's so beautiful, again, I say, is because I didn't change a note. I just came from the inspiration of the prayer, mm-hmm. went to the piano, and there it was. It was like tracing invisible music. So I think when you hear that, that's what you hear. There's not an ego. It's just pure spirit that mm-hmm. came through. So what an honor. What, how grateful am I that I was able to have that experience. What kind of creative endeavors did you do in high school? When I think about my, my life in high school, in junior high school and all those times, I was not a happy person. 
I, I had a very dysfunctional background. Mm-hmm. So aside from not having any spiritual connection at all, I was thrust into this world of, of tremendously unhappy people who, who were angry and upset, and I was I was emotionally destroyed at that point. I really didn't have the wherewithal to express myself as I do now creatively out of such a love and a joy. I was in a big rebellion mode at that point. Mm-hmm. I really cannot look back at those years and say that I was a happy person expressing myself. I knew that I wanted to be an actress. That I knew. That was one way that I could express myself, and my family was totally against it. Why? Well, they they really didn't understand the life of, of, of being a freelance actress. They thought it would be very harmful. They, they thought I would suffer and not make money. and They wanted me to really just get serious and marry a doctor. Uh. Preferably, you know, a Jewish doctor, of course, right. and have children and that kind of life. So mm-hmm. they were not happy with me wanting to do anything like that. Yeah. So I spent my life, those years, rebelling, really rebelling, and, and they were not happy times. What happened after high school? I, I wanted so much to go to theatrical school, but my mother was so against it. My family was, so I went to Brooklyn College to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. And somehow got a teacher's license and did a job one summer for 750 children from four to six years old. It was a wonderful job, easy for me, but people were very impressed with what I did, although it's, uh, I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. And I took the money and I enrolled myself in theatrical school. That's what I did. <laughs> and I became an actress. What was your parents' reaction? It was very hard to tell her. You know, my mom yeah. was very, very, very upset, but I had paid for myself, so she really yeah. couldn't fight it. Yeah. They were not happy, and God, I wasn't really a happy person then, in those days at all. Even though you were doing what you wanted to do? Yeah, I was doing what I wanted to do, but I also really always wanted to have harmony and love around me, mm-hmm. and my family were not harmonious or happy or satisfied people, so... Yeah. The environment was so destructive, mm-hmm. and I found one way out was I got married at an early age mm-hmm. to, get, to get away from this all. But, of course, I was recreating the very thing that I was running away from. Mm-hmm. So the, the the lessons that I had growing up, I see now in retrospect, were great to learn all these things about how unhappy one can be. Right. You know, and, and how I appreciate now this connection, which I never, never had. Mm-hmm. I think without a connection to spirit, how could you ever be happy? Well, certainly you discovered that. I sure discovered that. Yeah. So I so appreciate this now, mm-hmm. what's in my life right now. Yeah. And so what happened after you graduated from acting school? I then went ahead and I started to, to act all over the place. I, I did a lot of work here and there all over the place and then wound up going out of town. I did a lot of stock. I did a lot of singing in different, you know, musical theater kind of things, and and then got married, and, oh, God, and then got divorced, and then got married the second time, and then started to travel around. It was, oh, God, a life of search. Mm-hmm. This is what a seeker, you know, a life of seeking. What I was seeking all along was the very connection that I finally got as a Baha'i, that I was looking in all the wrong places for this connection. Mm-hmm.
God, Warren, I went through so many things. When I think about what I went through, oh, my God, following gurus around the world, living with Native American Indians, taking peyote and all kinds of things like that, and, yeah. and just looking and looking for this, for this very thing that I, that, that's right here, right available here. You know, it's interesting. Baha'u'llah has a book called The Seven Valleys and the Four Valleys, yes. as you're aware of. Yes. And one of the valleys he describes is the Valley of Search, where one is looking everywhere for, as he describes, the, the, his beloved. And you seem to be a, an epitome to this searching yeah. everywhere in which way to find what you are looking for. So on, in my search for happiness and peace, I came upon primal scream therapy. I've done every imaginable kind of therapy, but this one in particular. So I got very involved. Actually, I was living in Israel at the time, knowing nothing about about Baha'i, but living and seeing the temple, not even knowing what it is, going there, the Shrine of the Bab in okay. Haifa. This okay. was many, many years ago. I went there, and I hopped over the fence. It was in the 70s. But I stayed on, on those grounds, feeling very, very, very attracted to it, yet not knowing what it was, thinking it was some kind of cult. Mm-hmm. And I spent the day there, just being there. And then at the end of the day, I jumped over the fence and left, and no one ever knew what it was. I couldn't get an answer what that thing was. And I figured this was just some strange group of people. And I was there in Israel, and someone was there doing primal scream therapy. I was doing that with them and, and just so, you know, looking, searching so much for, for something. I got back into the States, I wound up in Colorado, and the next day someone told me about giving away knowledge. Why don't I come for this knowledge? Some guru was giving it. I said, well, what the hell? Let me, I'll take anything. This this screaming is is getting me crazy, the primal scream therapy. So I went, and lo and behold, there was a 16-year-old guru who had come from India. He hadn't come, but he sent his people to come to teach them the knowledge. I don't know if you've ever heard of who he was. Mm-mm. Guru Maharaji was his name. So I sat there and, and for the whole entire day and got initiated into this. It was a form of meditation. And I was willing to do anything. And this is what you did. You were instructed to meditate under a sheet. You know anything about this? No. Okay. But this was a very long form of meditation. And he was going to appear. He was doing a big guru puja in a desert part of Colorado. And everyone around the world were being notified of this. And they were all to come to gather to meet him. And he booked himself as the Lord of the Universe. Now, I didn't know what he was, if he was the Lord of the Universe or not. But I knew if he was the Lord of the Universe, I was going to get very close to him. Because that's exactly who I knew I was looking for in my life, the Lord of the Universe. So to the extent of learning 14 verses in Hindi... I had to learn how to sing this to become a gopi girl, to be at the feet of the Lord of the Universe so I could find my salvation this lifetime. And all of these rituals went on every single night until he finally arrived. I completely devoted myself to this practice so that I could find this great Lord of the Universe. And as it turned out, he was not the Lord of the Universe, but some Indian man on a fabulous marketing plan. Well, what what made you lose faith in him? When I met him, he was unhappy, he wasn't very generous, he wasn't very available, and I thought, if this is the Lord of the Universe, I don't think he would do anything but smile, or or at least be gracious, mm-hmm. or at least be friendly. 
so he wasn't any kind of a lord of the universe that I would ever follow. He he was it was a very big disappointment. However, he did pull a lot of people together, and that was a good part of his mission. Mm-hmm. But that was one thing that I remember following just religiously for months until he arrived. So, Dora, would you say that this was a repeated pattern of yours to find something and just put everything into it and then find yourself wanting? Yes, absolutely. Whatever I found, I felt I had to trust Mm -hmm. and, and go along with what it was telling me to do or else I wouldn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I did. I did surrender to the laws and the rules within that particular discipline so that I could mm-hmm. get what I what I needed to get from it. Even as an Orthodox Jew, I, I actually was on the way to India to follow another guru who I felt was a very good teacher. He called himself Osho, or Bhagwan Rajneesh. And I loved his teachings. I read all of his books, and I did a lot of his meditations. And I was actually on the, on the way to Pune when someone said to me, Dora, you're a Jew. Why don't you research Judaism? So I went ahead and I figured, let me go find something. I had looked already and didn't find anyone that I could even relate to. He sent me to a certain temple that a rabbi by the name of Shlomo Karlbach was the head of. And many, many people who are Jewish know who he is. because Shlomo Karlbach actually innovated music in the world of, of Judaism. And he was quite a public figure all over the world. So when I found him, I was very, very, very moved by what who he was and what he did and what he and his. And I became an Orthodox Jew for two years. I also couldn't stand the food, and I volunteered my time to cook a meal for the Shabbos dinner. And they were so so thrilled with the way I cooked that they hired me. So I became a kosher chef at the Karlbach Shul for two years making these amazing Shabbos dinners, and I was actively involved in being an Orthodox Jew. I found that the people were so disappointing to me. They were backbiting. There was such dissension among them. I couldn't stand being around them. Although he was a wonderful rabbi, the people around, they were fighting all the time. So that was the missing link for me there in in that world. Yeah. The people, not the pure teachings. Because mm-hmm. as you know, they're all the same. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Baha'is aren't perfect either, so I'm... It's not so much that Baha'is are perfect, but that there is a message that's very clear. We know that it's coming from Baha'u'llah, and his words are what recreate me when I read them. Mm-hmm. I didn't read in Hebrew. I really didn't. I read Torah, but it wasn't you know as clear as the message that I get from Baha'u'llah right now. It's not distorted. It's not changed seems to me by the time you got to the Baha'i faith, you must have been pretty jaded about anything being really meeting your needs. Yeah, it was not that it was so jaded. I knew there was something. I just knew that there was. Well, actually, I knew that unity was really the, the core of the whole thing. That's what I really knew in my heart of heart of hearts, that until all people could come together as one, we would never have peace on this planet, ever. And I even went to unity. Unity religion? I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it's it's uh, they speak about bringing people, all people together. Is it Christian based? It's Christian based, but it's really about getting all people together and accepting all people of all different religions. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that deterred me from that was the person who was the priest was so unavailable and so unhumble and so egoed out, and 
And then also, it didn't really bring people together because people would come to this, this, this lecture and then all go home their separate ways. Mm-hmm. It didn't really pull people together like the Baha'i Faith does. You become part of people's lives. And that's an integral part of being involved with the studies of spirituality. Now, Dora, how did you happen to run into the Baha'i Faith? Oh, a wonderful man by the name of Jake Corey. Quite a famous saxophonist, musician, was set up as a date for me when I came down one, maybe ten years ago, to visit my mother in Florida. Prior to that, I had been looking for something that was going to create unity. In my heart of hearts, I knew that in order for mankind to, to evolve, it had to be unified. I knew this, and I knew nothing about the Baha'i Faith prior to Jay Corey telling me on this date that we had 10 years ago. So, and also prior to this, I had been involved with all these different religions. I was a Tibetan Buddhist, and I became a Zen Buddhist, and I became a Lotus Sutra Buddhist. I did the Course in Miracles. I followed every imaginable guru around this world. I kept searching and searching and searching. And somehow there was something missing. Dora, what was it that was missing? It was either the people who were really living the words of the of of, of the original messengers from these different religions like Buddhism, or the interpretations. I even became an Orthodox Jew mm-hmm. for a while, and it, the, the, the basic studies are beautiful, but the people were not walking the talk. I never really found around me people who were walking the talk or, well, a supportive community at all. Never really found that until Jay told me about the Baha'i religion. And I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So I was living in New York City at the time, which I still am too, as well as Florida. And I went to the center on the 23rd of May. This is the Baha'i Center in New York. This is the Baha'i Center in New York. Now, my background is the theater. I was an actress for many years, and I walk into the center, and it's this beautiful red velvet theater with people who had twinklings in their eyes, you know, beautiful, conscious people. And I even knew some from Landmark Education. I don't know if you know what that is. No. You ever hear of Est and Werner Earhart? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, that's a, a great-grandchild of Est. So there were some people who had done asked, is what had done the landmark education, the forum. So I looked around and I said, "My God, I could, I could befriend these people. They look really like conscious rather than just sheep who are following a religion." And then when I I saw the program, it was like a Broadway show. It was the the Declaration of the Bob, and that was the twenty third of May. I knew that this, I had come home, I knew I had come home, and I just said, okay, this is it. This is exactly what I've been looking for. Jay had, you know, introduced it to me in Florida, and then I came back to New York. So what was it that attracted you so much to it? Well, first of all, a religion that was speaking about the unity of mankind, racial unity, was exactly the key to what I knew would make this world work. I knew that this was the very, very thing that it was missing. It just sang to me all the way 
deep down in the core part of my existence, this was exactly the very thing that I knew I needed for my growth and the world needed for its its unity, for peace. So you became a Baha'i pretty much right away after you ran into it? Well, yeah, when Jay told me what it was, I was so excited. And then the next I said, please take me to your leader immediately. I've got to find out more about this religion. Well, let's go, let's go back a little bit. Now, you said you are or were an actress? Yeah, I started off in the theater. That was my training. And I did that. I, was, I acted professionally for quite a few years. And, and what venues were you an actress? Uh, I did a lot of work in New York. I never really did anything on Broadway. I, did, I worked with La Mama off-Broadway. I worked in a repertory company in Boston called the Charles Playhouse and kicked around here and there, but then I really got clear that the best audience are children. And having also an art background, I was attracted to puppetry and became a puppeteer and started a theater and had that as a vehicle. And that was very fulfilling because children are very honest. And I was able to sculpt the puppets and create a lot of the plays and work with children who are a wonderful feedback. So I did puppetry for quite a few years as well. Mm-hmm. And then I started traveling around America, living in different places and dealing with puppets and theater as well. Did you have a name for your puppet theater production? Once Upon a Puppet. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah. A yeah. very long time ago, Warren, that I did this work. Yeah. And then what did you do after the puppet theater? Had my various religions that I was involved with, mm-hmm. following gurus, doing all kinds of Eastern disciplines and things like that all over the place. Mm-hmm. But basically, I played the piano for ballet companies, and I I became a chef for many years, too. How did becoming a Baha'i change your life? So profoundly was I, first of all, able to stop the search all over the place Mm -hmm. and feel the essence of who I really was. I had self-confidence. I had a connection to it, a real true connection. I was able to let go of my fears. I was able to let go of my ego. Really, I stopped looking for identity outside of myself. I, I, I knew at that point that I was connected to the bigger part of my being that gave me the peace that I was looking for all along throughout those years, be it through the theater or through any of the practices that I did. I could never find that complete peace, which I did find in a very short time after becoming a Baha'i and being quite nurtured by the community in New York. We had constant, we had prayer meetings and and I had study groups and firesides and intimate relationships with people, you know, just really becoming, becoming their friends. So I was loved into this world, and I had the bounty of being with Baha'is who were also theater people and musicians. We would put together all kinds of programs for every holiday, And I got to see how I didn't even have to work on anything. I was able to get out of my own way in my ego, and the music would come pouring through, or the theater pieces would just come pouring through, and we would do it in front of the, the, on the stage, in front of people. And my 
God, it was always so magical. It was always so wonderful. So how becoming a Baha'i has affected my life, it lifted me into the part of me that I can define as spiritual or the highest part of me, away from my ego and my thirsting to be to be acknowledged. I could let I let go of that and I just am able to tap into this energy that, that is that completely enriches my well being of everything. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. You also mentioned fears. So what were your fears that got eliminated? The fears of feeling separate. The fears of, of never being good enough. The fears of not being enough. The fears of never really being fulfilled. All of that dissipated. Mm. At the time that you ran into the Baha'i faith, what were you doing career-wise? I had just become a makeup artist, and I started to work on television. And did you continue that after you became a Baha'i? Yeah, I, I continued working as a makeup artist, and I also freelanced chefing. I, w- I, I was a health food chef, mm. and I had a bunch of private clients who I would work for with that, people who were creating uh, musical albums, famous people. And I would go off and cook for them while they were creating their music. Mm. Such a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah, Those were the things I believe I was doing then. Yeah. And what did you do after that? Then my mom got sick, and I came to Florida to take care of her. So I literally left my life in New York City to come down to see my mother, who was very, very sick. And when I came down to see her, she rejuvenated herself and decided that she would live again. Hmm. So I unexpectedly was in Florida taking care of mother, creating a life for myself down here, Mm -hmm. down in Florida. So I became a caretaker at that time, and mom lived for quite a few years, and I did remain with her. Mm -hmm. And I met my dear husband down here in the interim of that time. After your mom died, what did you do? I remained in Florida with my husband. We got married to my husband. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were given the bounty of a big, beautiful condo. We bought the condo, I renovated the condo, and I use it for firesides. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, very large living room, living area. Mm-hmm. Fifty people fit in the living room comfortably. So I have been doing these grand firesides. So you're no longer a caregiver or a, a chef or a makeup artist? or a... Yeah, I'm still a makeup artist. Okay, you're still doing that. Yeah, and I, I've been freelancing that. I did the, the CD, which I'm delighted about. Yeah. I also was part of starting the, the Children's Theater Company in New York City. Do you know it? Can you describe that for our listeners? Yeah, the Children's Theater Company was started by Mayor Anguri, and I had the, the pleasure of, of working with her and, and doing music there. That turned out to be a, a wonderful vehicle to create community and bring the word of racial unity and what humanity. It's been a wonderful teaching source. And then when I came to Florida, I started one also, another children's theater company. And we did a lot of work down here as well. That was very well received. People love seeing the children. They listen when children speak. People listen and they hear the words. So that was exciting. No, it's interesting that you continued working with children as you had done with the puppeteering. Yeah, I love working with children. 
Mm-hmm. So I'll probably start another children's theater company down here as well. When I come to live, Bill and I will be living here for a period of time as of January through May. Mm-hmm. We're also living in New York City as well, mm-hmm. in my apartment that I took back from a subletter after my mom died. Mm-hmm. So we have the bounty of living in two communities, New York City and Florida. So when you're in New York, what do you do? It's actually, it's not, I've not been there that long. Mm-hmm. This is a new thing that I took the apartment back. And now I'm going to be redoing the New York apartment so that we can have it as a base again in New mm-hmm. York. Mm-hmm. And I will be doing more makeup, but this time I'm going to gear it toward weddings. And that's what I'm starting right now mm-hmm. in terms of generating money with makeup. In New York or in Florida or both? Both. Yeah. So you've, you haven't been disappointed since you discovered the faith 10 years ago? Oh, I've been nothing but empowered. I just feel myself growing vessels in my heart. Mm-hmm. My heart is getting bigger and bigger. I just love humanity and faith because I really think that this is the very thing that the world, for the most part, will be turning into, a world of peace. And this is the only way that makes sense for me right now, you see. Yeah. Now, when you became a Baha'i, Dora, what was your family's reaction? My mom loved it. She mm-hmm. thought it was great. My mom became a Baha'i as well. So she also yeah. sort of graduated from this materialistic orientation that you described growing up. She did. She was delighted to have mm-hmm. found it. And mm-hmm. I'm so grateful because that sent her right off when she, she had a couple of years left. I just have to let you know that my mom still is in contact with me. She speaks to me through writing. So you're doing some writing? Oh, I do a lot of writing. I write a lot of music. And I, oh, so you, oh, and I write plays, and I, write, I, I do a lot of creative things like that. But my mom, I'm, I'm clear that it's my mother that, sure, that sure. sends me lots of messages all the time. Now, did you do this kind of creative work when you were growing up? Oh, yes, Warren. I was always, as a little child, singing and dancing and writing stories and poetry. And Yeah, I don't think that we really get that far away from who we really are. What does the future hold for you, Dora? Very excited am I that I am a Baha'i and that I could use all my talents that I have and put it out in this world. I will be starting another children's theater in all of... of of my professions that I do, be it cooking or makeup or whatever I do, if I'm not furthering the betterment of humanity in whatever I do, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So in essence, it's all about literally surrendering to being a Baha'i. The immediate present deals with uh, setting up my place in New York and mm-hmm. and putting out this, this makeup world that I'm doing, you know, the makeup business that I'm doing. And doing more and more and more firesides and devotionals. And and I know that I'll be led as I do this to whatever the next step is. Now, a number of times you've mentioned the the word firesides and and then you mentioned devotionals. Can you describe what those are? Oh, sure. Firesides are this wonderful gathering of people, basically for the purpose of finding out about the Baha'i faith. And what I have when I have these firesides, for the most part, I usually celebrate the creative spirit because that's so much a part of my life. Mm-hmm. So there's always music and something creative. Mm-hmm. So firesides are a great vehicle to get people, to have people become aware of the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. I love to cook meals. I cook 
beautiful food, and have this, I have this beautiful apartment here that I open to people. And so it's a, it's a very exciting, usually a very exciting event for me to have to put on. I love it. And we've been having close to 50 to 75 people here every time we do these things. And I, I just love when it happens. Mm. And Jake Corey, this wonderful jazz saxophonist, comes and he plays usually. Or uh, The man who has engineered my CD, he's planning to come to one of these events and, and perform. So it's it's just this wonderful gathering where people can learn about the faith. Mm-hmm. And the devotionals are another opportunity for people to come together and pray together and meet each other and just, you know, meet the human family. That's what it is to me. Mm. I got loved into this faith. Aside from reading the, the, the wonderful words of Baha'u'llah, I got loved by the people who were so living you... with the, the, the teachings, mm-hmm. loving people. So the very thread that kept everyone together is really the spirit. So we all befriended each other in spirit. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that makes for a, a lasting friendship. So these people are still my friends, my dear, dear, dear friends. I really consider them my family, my real family. My blood family is not is is not even nearly as 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 connected as is my Baha'i family. Because we connect beyond judgment, we connect in the spirit. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So it's a blessing. I am so mm-hmm. so grateful to be a Baha'i. I always thought that I'd have to wait another lifetime in order to achieve any kind of happiness, yeah. and now I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so now I see it right here before me, and it's paradise. I am living a life of paradise. I really am. I'm living in contact with people who I, I can love and share with and, and reading words that completely recreate my soul and rejuvenate me. Mm. And I'm living a life of inspiration that I never thought I would ever, ever, ever be able to. Well, Dora, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you very, very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dora Carlin Horton, a Baha'i of many capabilities, including actor, musician, and composer, makeup artist, chef, and playwright. I'll be playing her music from her CD, Pathway to Paradise, for the rest of the hour. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on a Baha'i perspective.
From all else. 
Odessa Gillette, host of A Baha'i Perspective on Saturday mornings here on WXOJLP. As you know, nothing is really for free. Although Valley Free Radio has the word free in it, we still have to pay the electric bill and the rent and any repairs or replacement parts to our very used equipment. So we hate to hear the sound of... That's right, dead air. So please join us in supporting local radio programs that you won't even hear at your local public radio station. Please send your contributions to Valley Free Radio, 140 Pine Street, Florence, Massachusetts, 01062, and help us stay on the air. Thanks. Justice is allowing fairness to guide your actions and decisions. Justice is someone being judged individually, not based on the capacity of another, which also means that people receive what they need to survive or accomplish a goal. Justice is being open to ideas that are best for a given situation. First and foremost, truthfulness is being able to be honest to oneself. And only then is one able to proceed with extracting honesty and truthfulness from others. Patience. First thing I think of when I think of patience is my son, Adam. He's developmentally delayed, and even the smallest thing takes so much time to accomplish. Every day is a test for me to remember, stop, take a deep breath, be patient because when I'm not patient, the frustration is overwhelming. And when I'm patient, I can enjoy the journey without worrying so much about the destination. Kindness to me is an important aspect in my life. Kindness means being respectful, making someone feel better when they're down, and allowing someone to take your place. Being kind to others makes me feel better about myself. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.